Would you open up your Bibles and turn to Acts 16? We're just making a steady go of it. The next time we meet, we'll be in Acts 17. But this morning, we're in Acts chapter 16, and this is probably one of my favorite, if not the most favorite chapter in all the book of Acts, because things like this in chapter 16 just don't happen every day. It's a miracle. God shows up. And remember that God is not uh, partial to anyone. He shows no favor to anyone. And just like he showed up in chapter 16, as we'll see in Paul and Silas's life, he will show up in our lives. And Paul and Silas kind of give us an inside scoop as to um, how to get to the heart of God. But before we get to chapter 16, I want us, you don't have to turn, but I want to give you just a quick background of Acts 13, 14, and 15 because I want you to see the life of the believer and the life of the early church was not like you got saved and you're up here on this high. They received Christ, they got saved, and it's like this. Just like it is for us. An up and down road the whole time. But God's faithfulness is always here. So let's just do a a, a quick review. Acts 13 and 14, we have some things happening. First, the gospel is preached and Gentiles believe on Christ at Antioch. That's a really good thing. Paul and Barnabas are threatened by Jews and must flee to Antioch. Not so good. In Iconium, Paul and Barnabas do miracles of faith and preach the gospel to many more. Eventually, they are threatened with stoning by the unbelieving, and they flee to Lystra. Hey, Matt, I pressed too hard on this. Do you have a hammer? (laughs) I know all men carry them. Did he leave? Where did Matt go? We'll get it fixed. That's all it'll take. Hey, you know what? The better person, Chris, would be uh, Krista. Would be Chris Morris. She'll find somebody. I'm not going to give up on this. Okay. Eventually, they are threatened with stoning by the unbelieving, and they flee to Lystra. Paul sees the faith of God in a lame man's eyes and commands him to get up and walk. That's really good. When the people at Lystra see the lame man walking around, they misunderstand and begin to worship Paul and Barnabas as pagan gods. When Paul and Barnabas reject the people's praise and persist with their gospel preaching and teaching, Paul is taken away by the mob and stoned. Found by the disciples later, apparently dead, he rose up, and they traveled back to Antioch. Chapter 15. At Antioch, the church rejoices with Paul and Barnabas over the recent missionary success among the Gentiles. 
Soon an argument arises within the body over what rule of conduct the Jewish church should impose on the new Gentile believers. And you remember this just from last week. A great meeting is called at Jerusalem where Paul, Barnabas, Peter, and James propose total equality and freedom for the Gentile believers, while the other faction advocates that they all be circumcised and keep the laws of the Old Covenant. The freedom faction wins out that day, and I, as a Gentile believer, praise the Lord for that. I love freedom. Now Paul and Barnabas proceed to revisit their mission circuit. Paul and Barnabas have such a sharp dispute along the way over a disciple named John Mark. Paul questions his commitment to their mission, and Barnabas defends him to the point where Barnabas and Mark continue to Cyprus, and Paul takes Silas, and they head head back to Lystra. And that's a long introduction, but it's important to see the ups and downs of the believers and the church. If we've ever wondered, now we can say for sure the Christian life is not steady and easy. It wasn't for them, and it won't be for us. There are great victories, but also setbacks along the way to heaven. And in Acts chapter 16, we will ultimately see, through Paul and Silas, how to live, trust, and hold on to the Lord, even when our circumstances look bleak. This great Bible chapter could be described as bittersweet. It illustrates both the great pain and the great beauty of the Christian life. In Acts 16, our spiritual enemy does not want us to obtain in our understanding or to attain this in our living, what we're going to find out in chapter 16. The enemy really, you know what? This is probably a distraction from the enemy. Because he does not want us to learn what God has for us in chapter 16. Did you get a hold of Chris Morris, by the way? Perfect. And we see Paul, the great apostle, setting such a godly example in his life for us today. So, without further ado, let's turn to chapter 16, verse 1. He came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy, lived, whose mother was a Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Now, I just want to stop here and encourage you this morning, if you are a mom and you have an unbelieving husband, that you can raise disciples of the faith. Timothy was a disciple, so he was a believer. His mother was a believer, his father was not. His father was Greek. But he becomes the first um, Gentile called by God through Paul into the work of the ministry. And he has just a believing mom. So I want to encourage you here today, if that's where you find yourself, keep going. Keep praying. Keep encouraging your children um, in their walk with the Lord. Because God will honor your holiness and your faithfulness in their lives. And this is such a a sweet um, young man here, a disciple in the faith. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. 
the Gentiles are now part of the body of Christ right along with the Jewish believers. And in Timothy, we see the first Gentile called by God into the ministry. But here's the question. Why would Paul have Timothy circumcised? Just in the last chapter, the church had decided that a Gentile believer did not need to be, uh, did not need to be circumcised in the flesh in order to be saved. Timothy could have raised a fuss about this circumcision, and technically maybe he would have gotten out of it. But he listened to Paul, I believe, because he realized that he was going to be sanctified and set apart to the work that God had called him to do. And he was willing to do whatever it took to be faithful to serve God in the ministry and to accomplish the Father's will. Verse 4. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles back in chapter 15 and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the whole region of Phrygia and Galatia, having kept by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they traveled, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight from straight for Samothrace and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. Notice how they answered to no man or no committee and not even to their own opinions. They answered to the Holy Spirit. They were sensitive to the Holy Spirit that dwelt in their hearts. And this is one of the main things in the entire book of Acts is that they were sensitive, and we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit that dwells in our hearts. You keep seeing this. Hi. Do you have a hammer and a nail? Come on up. Come on. You're a sight for sore eyes. Oh, you have a drill. Okay, even better. All right, let me get my stuff. Where's the problem? Oh, we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, come on up. This is Ryan, everybody. <laughs> want me to hold it? Oh, that's good. That is not going to come off anymore. Thank you so much. Yay, let's give Ryan a hand. Woohoo! <laughs> they were sensitive to the Holy Spirit that dwelt in their hearts. If you take notes, please write that down. Please get this from the book of Acts, that they were sensitive to the Holy Spirit that dwelt in their hearts. You see, with our busy schedules with our agendas, with our ability to multitask, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit might not seem efficient. But it is God's way. And we need to learn that it has to be our way. 
Paul's dream, by the way, in verse 9, of a man in Macedonia was really just a call to go there and offer the gospel to anyone who would listen. This woman, Lydia, listened and was touched by the Lord and became a believer. She was baptized and then became a blessing to the missionaries. Verse 16. No, 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 no. I'm not at 16. 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Oh, sorry, we haven't met Lydia yet. On one of those, listen, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message when she and the member, members of her household were baptized. She invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So Lydia is a blessing to the disciples. Verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, which was the synagogue, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And I'm going to say it a couple of times because if we just say it one time, it really doesn't sound that bad. But to say it over and over again, uh, it wasn't what the Lord had intended. It was very distracting and very um, annoying. Again, she says, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Almost it becomes like a mockery. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Praise the Lord. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stocks. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other Prisoners were listening to them. And we need to just pause right here at verse 25 because this is what we need to get this morning. This is Paul's and Silas's godly example for us of what to do. First of all, no wonder that Paul hesitated before trying to free this unfortunate girl of the demon living in her. He suspected, I'm sure, that there might be consequences. But as God's man, in the place that God had called him to be, Paul could not stand by while God was blasphemed day after day by this demon who lived in her. 
I'm also certain that Paul and Silas and the others did not enjoy suffering any more than you or I do today. But the facts are these. If we belong to Christ, his enemies are now our enemies too. And sooner or later, you and I will have to take a stand in the spiritual battle. And I'm so glad that Paul was willing to take a stand in the spiritual battle that day. And if you feel like this morning yourself that you are in a spiritual battle, you are not, you don't have to be alone. Ask someone, go into your prayer group today and ask for prayer. Tell them you feel like you're in a spiritual battle. And then I want you to underline Ephesians 6.10 in your Bible because that talks about the armor of God that when we um, hit a spiritual battle, we need to put on the full armor of God because God is the one that fights our battles for us. We don't have to fight the enemy. God does. We just kind of stand back and let God do the bomb dropping. I want us to take note in verse 25 of what Paul and Silas chose to do. And what they chose to do is the godly example of what we should do, even in the midst of the bleakest circumstances. Paul and Silas had been betrayed, beaten, flogged, thrown into solitary confinement in a deep, uh, they call it an inner cell, but really it was a pit, with their feet in chains. I'm sure it's way past their bedtime. I know midnight is way past mine. So they're exhausted and they're hurting Maybe not understanding, why, God, did you call me here? I thought for sure that I heard your voice, and now I'm in this situation. It's not a fun place to be. It's a place, really, of agony. But these two guys, Paul and Silas, chose to pray. And I could do that very easily, and I know my prayers. I don't even have to think about it. It would be, oh, God, save me. Oh, God, please deliver me. Oh, Lord, please just help me fall asleep. You know, take the pain away. Deliver me. Save me. But on top of praying, they chose to sing hymns. The hymns that they sang were right out of the book of Psalms. Because the book of Psalms is, is, the Psalms really means praise. The book of Psalms is a book of praise. Paul and Silas, I'm sure, were over the age of 30. They were both Jewish men. Jewish men, by the time they were age 30, had to have the entire book of Psalms memorized. It was amazing when I first traveled to Israel. Our tour guide was um, his his dad was French and his mom was Jewish. So if you're if your um, mom is Jewish, you're considered to be Jewish. Well, he was not a believer, yet he had the entire book, every chapter of the Psalms memorized. And I asked him to just kind of uh, recite. Um, a couple for me, and it was so beautiful. He said, well, you know, it's not just me. Every man by the time they're age 30, um, whether you're a devout Jew, um, whether you're a convert to Judaism, or whether you're just a secular Jew, you um, do attend Jewish synagogue, and you learn the entire book of Psalms by the age of 30. And I think this was really good for Paul and Silas, because here they are, stuck in this prison, and they're remembering They remembered Psalm 104. Enter into the gates of the Lord with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. You notice how enter is not like if you want to enter. It's just enter. It's a command. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. It's not if you 
if you want to be, it's a command. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. And it's not like a dot, 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 unless I feel like I'm in a hopeless situation. The Lord is good unless things aren't going right in my life. No, God is good all the time, and he's worthy to be praised. Psalm 100 was a singing psalm, so I can't help but wonder if this is one of the psalms that they sang. And this is the first point of praise. I'm going to just give you um, a couple points of praise this morning here in verse 25. The first point of praise is, praise is a command by God from God's word. They knew that praising God was a command from God's word. It's not a suggestion. It's a command from God's word. Why? Well, first of all, because our praise ministers to the Lord. Remember in Acts 11 when they were fasting and praying and they were worshiping, it said that ministered to the Lord. Our praise ministers to the Lord. But, The reason that God gives us that command to praise him is because he knows what praise will do for us. God knows what praising him will do for us. So he gives it to us as a command. Most Christians will tell you that being thankful and praising God is good, right? We all could say that. Well, that's good. However, many think it's optional. And it's not. Some Christians only praise God when their circumstances are just right. And their mood is just right. What does Psalm 34, 1 say? I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. You see, God knows that sometimes our praise to him will be a sacrifice. We don't feel like giving him praise. It will be a sacrifice. A sacrifice because your flesh tells you that at this point in time, with how you're feeling and how your circumstances are, that it doesn't seem very reasonable to praise God. We would say, my circumstances are a mess. I don't see any good coming from this situation. That's exactly what Paul and Silas could, could have said. My circumstances are a mess. This place is a mess. I don't see any good coming out of this situation. Who knows what's going to happen to us in the morning? But that's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. See, that's what Paul and Silas were doing. They were offering a sacrifice of praise. Sacrificing, um, giving a sacrifice of praise is like this. Lord, you know that I might be really afraid right now. I don't know what the future holds. I feel lonely. I feel angry. I feel upset. I feel abandoned. I feel betrayed. However, or but, I will praise you because you are worthy to be praised. Your word tells me that you love me. You're my strong tower. You're my refuge. You will never leave me nor forsake me. And I will praise you 
because you are worthy to be praised. And you know, in that sacrifice of praise, that's so pleasing to God. Just remember that. The next time that you don't feel like it and you're just going to choose to offer that sacrifice of praise, know this. It is so pleasing to God. And we want to be women that please God, don't we? Which brings me to the second point of praise. Praising God means a steady decrease of self and an increase of the presence of Christ. And wouldn't you love that? We need that, don't we? We need to have a decrease of ourself and an increase of the presence of Christ. And you cannot be in a situation where you will choose and when you will offer a sacrifice of praise where you'll keep thinking about yourself. It just won't happen. Your thoughts of yourself will decrease and the presence of Christ will increase. Another way to say it would be like this. Praising God forces us to get our attention on God and off of ourselves. Psalm 77 gives us an example of how David did this. So let's turn to Psalm 77. I want everyone to see this. This is a wonderful example of how to offer a sacrifice of praise in the bleakest of circumstances. Let's look at verse 1, Psalm 77. I love David because he's so real. And when he's hurt or when he's angry, he doesn't try to um, hide it. He just pours it out to God. Just give it all to God. I cried out to the Lord for help, Psalm 77. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. And see, this really shows you what to do when you're in distress. I saw, when I was in distress, I sought the Lord. You don't need to call a girlfriend. You don't need to hound your husband. When you are in distress, call out to the Lord. Because in most cases, your girlfriends and your husband will not be able to help you. It is only the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands. And my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O oh God, and I groaned. I'm used and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing and I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? And I'm sure this maybe went through Paul and Silas's mind, you know, before they started to, you know, being flogged. I, I sure, surely know that's what I might be thinking. It's like, God, where are you? Please show up. I'm hurting. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? He's filled with doubt, isn't he? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he, in anger, withheld his compassion and then... David gives a turn. This is where I love it. He turns, and so many of the Psalms are like this. David pours out his heart to the Lord, and then he turns the corner. Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years of the right hand of the Most High. 
I will remember the deeds of the Lord. It's a choice of his will. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. And I love these two last verses that we're going to read, 13 to 15. And I want you to notice, I counted how many times David says the word you or your because he's decreasing his self and he's increasing the presence of God. He continually says, you God, you God, you're this, you're that. It's nine times. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Totally did that switch. And if David can do it, we can too. Praise will build you up spiritually and keep you from crumbling. Now, if you want to stay in that crumbled state then don't praise him. But if you want to be built up spiritually, just try it. For the joy of the Lord is my strength. Nehemiah 8.10 The Apostle Paul was persecuted and suffered far more than most of us. Yet he said that all of his afflictions were just for a moment in the light of eternity. He looked into the spiritual realm. And this is something else that praise does. I didn't put it as a point, but you can make it a point. Praise pushes you into the spiritual realm to see what God has done for you. You can't stay where you are when you choose to praise the Lord. It pushes you into a spiritual realm so that you will remember all that God has done for you. Paul and Silas praised God in prison, and it was the praise that released the power of God and the earthquake that delivered them from their, acti- their captivity. So let's continue. Verse 26. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake, that the, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And all at once, the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Not just Paul and Silas, it's everyone in the prisons. Their chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought, the prisoners have escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole family. Now remembering, remember as Paul and Silas are singing hymns, they were heard, they were, the jailer was listening. And these praises that Paul and Silas lifted up to the Lord, I know were such an example. The jailer was thinking, I know they've just been flogged. 
They've been beaten. They've been thrown into the inner cell. Their feet are chained. Why in the world are they praying and singing hymns to God? What um, a testimony and a witness it was for that jailer and for all of the other prisoners. And the same is true for me and you. When people see our, our lives really aren't, the circumstances of our lives really aren't good, but yet we still choose to praise the Lord, somebody's going to ask you, how can you do that? Why are you doing that? And then it's your chance to say, because God is still good. Even in the bleakest of circumstances of my life, God is still good, and he's worthy to be praised. He will never leave me or forsake me. He is my strong tower. It pushes you into the realm where you're going to be able to witness to someone and to bring glory to God. Paul and Silas chose to pray and sing hymns to God, and then God did the rest, and I love that. You know, they didn't even know that God was going to send a huge earthquake. So they weren't expecting that God would do anything. They just praised the Lord because they're commanded to in Scripture to praise God. And then God did the rest. God showed up. And God will do that for you. And I don't know in what way he will show up, but he will. When you choose to leave behind how you feel, your mood, your circumstances, and praise God, he will show up. And maybe it's just in the stillness of your heart. Or maybe he'll change the circumstances. But I promise you this, he will show up. And then what two things followed? That praise. Well, first it's a miracle. It's a huge miracle. An earthquake that sets them free. Their praise brought deliverance. God can bring you deliverance, and it might not be from an inner prison cell, but it can be a deliverance from fear, a deliverance from doubt, worry, anxiety. If you'll choose to praise the Lord, he can deliver you from whatever binds you, holds you. Also, it brought salvation for others. Look at what happened to the Philippian jailer. A regular sermon would have never touched him. But the praying and the singing of the hymns that he heard in that jail changed his life around forever. Okay, let's finish. 35. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial. Even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them, and then they left. Lydia, the jailer, and their families, and soon others, were saved and became a part of the church of Philippi. Later, Paul, remembering all that had happened there, wrote and told them 
of the pathway of faith and hope. Philippians 4, 4 through 7, Paul wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. And he knows from firsthand circumstances, because he went through Acts 16, he says, rejoice. And I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Paul and Silas could have screamed and shouted obscenities to that jailer, but they let their gentleness be known to all because they knew the Lord was near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Just yesterday, it was actually last night, I was uh, looking at my devotion of the day, March 5th. Actually, it was March 4th, too. They were both really good. I went back one day. And I just want to end with reading these devotionals to you. Have you ever encountered such a challenge when your meager resources are cut even smaller and your only recourse is to trust God? When God wants to bring more power into your life, he brings more pressure. The more impossible your circumstance seems, the more glory God will receive. When your situation is rectified, as your circumstances become more impossible and the odds seem against you, do not be discouraged. Trust God and watch for his power to triumph. March 5th. In Psalm 100, 3 and 4, the words of praise flowed from David's heart like a river pulsing down a mountain. David truly adored God no matter what. We know this because Matthew 12, 34 teaches the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. If David's heart were not filled with immense love for God, he would not have been able to express himself so eloquently. Even when David faced immense pressures, he was still able to place his hope in God. It was through small steps of worshiping God in the difficulties that his adoration of the Lord grew to overflowing. When you speak about the Lord, do you praise him with your heart? What flows from your mouth may be an indication as to the health of your faith. Are you able to proclaim gladly that the Lord is God no matter what? Is there a flaw in your faith? Then praise him. Once you allow the spring of praise to course in your heart, it will continue to grow until it overflows through you. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and watch him bring something beautiful out of it. And I couldn't let this Acts chapter 16 go by without giving you the opportunity to praise the Lord this morning, to offer a sacrifice of praise. I know that there, I don't even know what the percentage would be on any given day. On any given day, I wouldn't feel like praising the Lord. You know, this day I do, this day I don't. But that's not the way it works. Anytime we gather as a body of believers and worship is happening, 
that is your chance to get out of yourself and make a choice that I will worship the Lord. I don't know. I don't care who's looking around. It's not even their business. It's between you and God. Worship doesn't go this way. It's not horizontal. It's vertical. It's a ministry unto the Lord. It's a sacrifice of praise. And I didn't want you to be to have to leave here this morning without being able to do that. And maybe you don't normally do that. When you don't feel like praising the Lord, you don't. And let me tell you, that's a sin. Because it is a command in the word of God to praise the Lord. And I just have to say this. Because I'm a pastor's wife does not mean that every day is rosy for me. There are many times when I will come to church on a Wednesday or a Sunday or a Saturday, and I do not feel like praising the Lord. Just because of some circumstance or because of my mood. I might have PMS. You know, who, who knows? But might not be in the mood. It is a choice to praise the Lord. Then when I choose and I praise, something beautiful happens. Something awesome happens. My heart changes. I'm not in a bad mood anymore. I don't even think about those circumstances. Things weren't really so bad between Gary and I after all. I, I, don't, I forget all about what happened just before I left because God is good and he is faithful. And I don't mean to like belabor this point, because, um, but I wouldn't be so passionate about it if I didn't know that it wasn't true. It's true because I've experienced it in my own life many times where I feel like there's no answer. Uh, I feel hopeless. You know, I don't see an end to this situation, but right in the middle of it, I don't care. I'm going to choose to praise God, and then God shows up, and he does the rest.